Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim, and I am the lead pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And my name's Marshall. Just Marshall. Just just Marshall. Keep it simple. I mean, I, st- I still have my job, at least so far. You know what? The way my voice has been lately, and that <laughs> I have to sing on Sunday, I, sh- I should have probably kept it simple. <laughs> yeah, don't waste your words there, Tim. So, we had snow yesterday. I saw that. Ugh. My family was torn. I had, uh, I just sat back and observed. Mm. And the rest was split half and half between cheering and booing. <laughs> it wasn't the good snow, though. It was the just the wet, like, nasty, not even quite freezing. I don't even know what it yeah, was. Yeah, it, it was it was just a heavy wintry mix kind of a thing. It was just a slush from the sky. Yeah. It was gross. Yeah, it was it was just enough to say I'm not here, but I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. It was it was like I'd take real snow over that <clears throat> stuff though. To be honest, I'd yeah. rather be like below like a couple degrees below freezing and actual snow than a couple degrees above and that stuff. That's yeah. Analia doesn't isn't really excited about winter coming. Mm. On the radio, we heard them talking about a chance of flurries. Oh, really? We decided it was a chance of furries. <laughs> the odds of seeing a rabbit were going to be high. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of like because I I know the people are from here that are listening are going, come on guys, like it m- melted before it hit the ground. Right, right, right. I get that. But it's kind of like when you have the horror movie. Mm. This is the second time horror movies have come up. I don't even watch this them. This morning. Yeah, neither yeah. do I. Um, but you have the music that starts playing, mm. and you're like, the thing hasn't happened yet, but I'm already scared. Right. It was like that. <laughs> is, that a, is that fair? Yeah, that's, I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. So, today... Before, neither one of us have a voice today, by the way. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. So, before we get into our subject this morning, a little bit more of what's going on in the world. And just like the last couple episodes, we're still kind of floating in that kind of 1800s, broadly 1800s. Yep. We're going to kind of sit there for this episode and and maybe one or two more even just because of the subject list that we have before we get into uh, the 20th century. But Mm -hmm. um, some things going on. 1847, chloroform was invented. Okay. Okay. Queen Victoria herself used it uh, during childbirth. I think for like her like seventh or eighth child. Okay, they used chloroform on her. <laughs> I guess before the days of epidurals, <laughs> chloroform. Let's go. I guess um, I don't think they do that anymore. They do do laughing gas though. Anyways, moving on. Uh, Eighteen forty nine. Uh, the safety pin is invented. Okay. After the combustion engine. Just saying. Right, right. <laughs> Before that, everyone just had little pricks of... Yeah, everyone just... It's like yeah. poppy season, where you just like... Everyone's just stabbing themselves constantly right. On, right. on everything. Um, 1850 to 1864, something... This is going to be interesting, actually. Something called the Taiping Rebellion in China, okay? So, it was started by a guy named Hong Jiquan. I'm going to go with that. Mm-hmm. Who proclaimed that he was the brother of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So he had had some he had had some interaction with missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, had learned a little bit about Christianity. Was actually refused baptism by a Baptist missionary who knew him. Was like, no, whatever you're about is weird. Yeah. Something's off here. So he believed he was the brother of Jesus. He developed this religion that mixed Christian influences with Chinese ancestor worship, proclaimed the heavenly kingdom, and sought to overthrow. Not just the government, but the entire system in China. Like, Hmm. recreate China in this heavenly kingdom model, which is kind of this, like, weird, gross mix of kind of Christianity with all sorts of Eastern religion stuff. When it's all said and done, between 20 and 30 million people were dead. That's that's World War I-level casualties. Wow. I'd never even heard of it before. And I'm I'm a history guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just goes to show kind of our, our Western bias sometimes. 
Yeah. It's like, that's, that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it's loosely connected to church history, I guess. Cause he thought he was Jesus' brother. You go by James. <laughs> James Shiquan instead of Hong Shiquan. Oh man. Anyways. Um, so yeah. Uh, 1862 France annexes Cambodia, uh, which is why a lot of people in Cambodia to this day still speak French. Mm-hmm. Um, 1867, a little closer to home, British Parliament passes the British North America Act, creating a new country known as Canada, which had four provinces. And what were those four provinces, Tim? Take a guess. They were Quebec. Yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Manitoba. No. It's okay. British Columbia. No. Think, think what's closer to Britain. Oh, Newfoundland, Newfoundland and Labrador? No. New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, okay. Yeah. Newfoundland and Labrador, interesting. Not even PEI. Not yet. They were shortly after. I okay. think they were like a few years later. Um, Newfoundland and Labrador didn't become part of Canada until 1949 after World War II. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. I know you've got your PR, but before you get your citizenship, I'm going to coach you through your your class. you got time. <laughs> you've, got, yeah. you've got lots of time. <laughs> Uh, 1877, an astronomer by the name of Asaph Hall discovers the moons of Mars. And I think there's two of them. 1889, aspirin is patented. And that's what I've got for today. Yeah, that's good. Because I got to get like two more sets of events from that same time period still. But thankfully, like by this point in history, people are keeping a lot of records. So there's it, stuff. There's tons of stuff. I'm, I'm still a bit hung up on the safety pin. <laughs> right? Because... Because when I think, if I was to think safety pin and advertisement old school, it's baby diapers, right? Mm, right. What did they use for baby diapers before the safety pin? Kids just learned their lesson? They just went wherever they were? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that's, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. We need, we need I'm sure someone has written a paper for some kind of PhD in history on like the rise yeah. of the use of diapers. Oh, I'm sure. I'm like, sure. Gar- guaranteed. Yeah. Someone can find it, send it to us. That'd be amazing. Yeah. When I was, I spent a little bit of like a couple of eight weeks in China. And when I was there, I noticed that like toddlers mm-hmm. were just wearing onesies. Yeah. And someone had taken some scissors. Is the bottoms out. And cut the bottoms out. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> Sweet. And and this isn't like rural China. This is like Beijing, <laughs> right on the streets. Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, all right, we're we're crossing back over into Europe. We are for what I think some people are going to to call it modern. Th- this is where you start getting hazy, right? Mm. It's not necessarily what we would call. It's not contemporaneous to us. No in a way that we would call modern. Yet it is 1,800 years deep into the study of church history. Mm-hmm. So relatively modern. Yeah, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised that these things aren't as new as they thought they would be. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that what happens, we, we oftentimes look back in blissful ignorance on history and think... Things were great, and they've gone off the rails. Yeah, in the last 10, 20 years, whatever, yeah. If if we have done anything so far this year, I would hope we have shown people that that's not true. Yeah. Yet liberalism, as a theology, liberal right. theology, mm-hmm. I think people would still hold to, this is a new thing, a newer thing, um, a a product of the postmodern mindset. Right. And it's it's not. No. Um, so today we're going to talk about liberalism mm-hmm. and its beginnings in Europe. Yep. Because liberal theology and, and arguably liberal politics and, and society mm-hmm. in general tend to flow from Europe into Canada and down into the, into the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sort of the progression. Typically, yeah. Yeah, Canada sort of lives in that tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our American listeners might hear that and go, wait a minute. Things are very liberal here. It's because like, um, none of you have been to Europe. <laughs> right, right. And and the liberalisms in Canada mm-hmm. are sort of 
intention between the two. Yeah. And yeah. and here's the thing, like, okay, we we have to you kind of mentioned this too. We have to kind of define our terms. So like liberalism, liberal theology is not the same thing as liberal politics. Right. There is some kind of relationship, mm-hmm. but in like in the political realm, like what's known as classical liberalism would be right-wing politics today. So the 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 way we use the words now don't right. don't really match. Um so what when when you hear someone on the news or YouTube railing about liberals these days, they're not talking about the liberals that we're talking about. They're talking about something different. They're talking about socialists essentially. So Right. My point was just to say the spread of both follows the same yeah. pattern. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah. All right. So Let's let's try to define liberal theology. Mm-hmm. I I kind of okay. I kind of came up with a couple phrases. You look like you have a, a, a textbook. I I have a I have the textbook definition. Okay, because it's a definition from a textbook. Can I can I give? Let me give mine and see how yep. well it matches up yep. to what to what the textbook says. So so I I would say it's an interpretation of Christian teaching. That is in submission to modern science as well as the norms, values, and ethics of society and culture. Right? Mm-hmm. It's typically you're going to find a high degree of criticism of the biblical text, a low view of Jesus, being anti supernatural, and you're going to find social gospel. Those are like when I think that's not even a definition. That's just like, that's just like, those are, those are bullet points. Those are bullet points, but yep. that's my bullet point definition for liberal theology. Yeah, so <clears throat> Paul ends in the Moody Handbook of Theology says the tenets of liberal theology include the following. An emphasis on human reason and experience. Mm-hmm. Religious belief must pass the test of human reason and the findings of science. Uh, and Christianity must be adapted to the modern world. Mm-hmm. The Bible is not an infallible, authoritative book. Mm-hmm. It is a record of the experiences of others. And it has ex- uh, exemplary, but not dogmatic value. There is no distinction between natural and supernatural. Distinction between God and nature, man and animals, Christ and man is played down. Mm-hmm. The logical result of this view is ultimately pantheism. Hmm. Pantheism is when you... So people talk about pantheism a lot these days. Sure. Right? Whenever anyone says the universe, Mm. they're being pantheistic. Sure. Right? Uh, What you were talking about earlier, the the blending of Christianity with Chinese, Eastern, ancestral worship, and, and things of that nature, that's that introduction of the universe and our role the part we play within the universe that's pantheism the idea that the deity god if you need to use that term right uh is is just a harmonization of all things mm-hmm. that's pantheism right right now that is kind of what paul had said there kind of being the the logical end it doesn't mean that everyone who's part of the liberal theology camp are quite all the way right. there. And they would they would deny that. Yeah, for they sure. They would say, sure. I'm not a pantheist, I'm a Christian. Right. But what Paul Enns is saying is, <clears throat> the way that you're trying to view and explain Christianity mm-hmm. is inevitably going to lead to pantheistic yeah. understanding. Sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. I feel kind of good about my bullet points, actually, because I feel like a lot of them... Paul agrees. Yeah, Paul agrees. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, why, why... So, I was thinking through the question, okay, why did liberal theology pop up when it did? Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do because it, it follows the period of the Enlightenment. Like, technically, right. the Enlightenment started a long time before this, but the Enlightenment brought with it this worldview this concept of understanding where the centrality of the self that the individual is at the center of the universe right it's it's life liberty and the pursuit of happiness 
that's enlightenment, right? That's the foundation of the United States of America, which, which embodied left-wing ideals that actually started in Europe. It didn't start in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just got it done first. Um, pursuit of knowledge through reason, continual progress and advancement of technology, society, right? You have the, that political liberalism, which again is, is, is really this modern day conservatism. <laughs> it's like, you know, freedom of expression and freedom of the press and, you know, fair, fair, uh, elections and stuff like that. And like, gotten less government overreach so that's that was so it's it's about freedom of the individual the individual is that is kind of the, the the most important thing so that that's that's the basis of that so with that comes rationalism so mm-hmm. if i don't understand it, it doesn't exist if i can't measure it with my senses what is it it's nothing right which is which is a societal thing mm. in 1859 we have the publication of the origin of species. Right. By Charles Darwin. Right. Right. So the notion is science prevails, mm. which again, I, I think is something that people would say, isn't that a modern, mm-hmm. isn't it a contemporary notion? No. Yeah. Right. Science prevails. There has to be an explanation for all things that doesn't include God. Right. Because haven't we kind of developed beyond that? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and then, what also you had a bit of a reaction to to this though in the romantic movement so you have some people like a lot of like artists um and that that kind of end of people who were kind of like you know we're we're tired of you know reading dusty old books about things we don't care about we mm-hmm. want to like we just want to enjoy the experience of life and and you know and so art kind of changes you do you have different kind of different kinds of um, artistic expression and music and things like that that are kind of embodying this this romantic uh, reaction to kind of the cold hard rationalism right. and and that's kind of where Europe is at you know, at the turn, like at the early 1800s. And this, this is kind of, so it's primed for something. And, and then there's going to be some people that are going to come in to the situation and try to direct the church in, in light of what's Mm -hmm. going on. And ultimately we can blame the Germans for this one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, the Germans get blamed for a lot. I mean, but we don't, we're not going to go into there, but, um, but, Here's the thing, though. Germany at this point was still just an idea while most of these guys mm-hmm. were living. So, like, Germany itself did not exist. It was just German peoples who were scattered throughout the various European republics and duchies and minor kingdoms. And yeah. And, and I... One, one last thought on how contemporary this might feel. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of that society mirrored in today's society. Mm. That tension between science rules and I'm all up in my feels mm-hmm. is really strong right now. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Right? Where people say, well, I feel like this is true about who I am, mm. although scientifically it can be proven otherwise. Right. Right? Right. And so, yet at the same time, to say the notion of a God creating all things and ruling over all things, Mm. I'm going to bow to science who says that's not true. Mm. Even though I would argue that what science has to say about me is wrong. Right. (laughs) Right? So this this tension between... So what true. are the cold hard facts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what do I feel? Right. And I'm going to choose whichever one suits me in the moment. Right. That's the world we live in right now. It is. And that's the world that liberalism, uh, liberal theology is birthed from. Mm-hmm. And just like people are trying to do today, people try to come up with these like weird justifications for playing that game, mm-hmm. like these kind of new frameworks of like, well, no, it's perfectly like trying trying to find a way to make it consistent to both, you know, deny objective truth in the way that you feel, but also use 
what you seem to be kind of this like empirical rational approach to like stomp on anyone who's person of faith or whatever like it's it's anyways it's just like that happens today essentially liberal theology is is what is used to kind of bridge that gap then yep right second timothy 3 7 mm. always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth yeah right this notion that we are more intelligent than ever before we continue to increase in our intelligence, mm. yet we're just sort of wandering off to the side. This is going to sound patronizing and demeaning. I, I understand that. But in some ways, it kind of mirrors the way children play. Mm. You remember being a kid? I, I watch my kids do this, and I think, oh, man. I remember being in the backyard with friends doing the same thing, right? Mm. Where you find a thing... And you're like, this must be a, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're down this rabbit trail mm. of like this rock that you found belonging, and you got like a whole backstory of who it belonged <laughs> to, and it was a caveman tool, and they must have been doing right. And like all of this just sort of everyone, someone makes a wrong, yet not entirely unplausible statement. Everyone decides to go with it. Yep. And next thing you know, you're playing out this story mm -hmm. that is completely detached from reality, has mm -hmm. no verifiable evidence to it, mm -hmm. but everyone's on board and having a good time. Yeah, it's the, it's, and I think in, in the context, because these are all going to be guys who are teaching in universities. Mm -hmm. And which is also very much like our, our society today. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. That, this is not necessarily the most common on the streets, mm -hmm. but is universally accepted mm -hmm. in order to be a university professor. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and there's definitely the, the allure of the novel idea of the challenging idea of the idea or principle that just erodes what everyone has thought before. Right. Everyone before us was wrong. Generational we've arrogance. This, we've got this new idea, and everyone's just so gung ho for it, right? And mm -hmm. uh, and you know, we're we. I think it's just true in in various ways in in each generation. But we'll start with um, someone who's been referred to as the father of liberal theology. Yeah. I don't know. I think Immanuel Kant probably. He's more philosophy, though. He does touch on. He touches on theology. He yeah. does. But he's the grand. But would you have Schleiermacher without Kant? No, you right. would not. So maybe Kant's just like you don't have a baby without his dad. Maybe the maybe maybe Kant just is the, the grandfather, and Schleiermacher is the father. <laughs> maybe Friedrich Schleiermacher, born in 1768 in Breslau in the Kingdom of Prussia. Uh, father was a Reformed Church chaplain in the Prussian army. He was sent to a Moravian school. We mentioned the Moravians a while ago. They're a branch of Christianity that was really big on piety. Mm -hmm. So it's really big on spiritual disciplines. You need to pray more. You need to fast more. You need to do more. You need to, you know, more, 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 more. Uh, and that never sat well with him. Uh, he attended the University of Halle. I'm going to just go with a, go with an expression or pronunciation there. Um, and at this point already, some of the theology professors at the university were, were beginning to, you know, question biblical accuracy and authority. And Schleiermacher was very interested in this course of study. He starts getting really skeptical um, about the claims of historical Christianity and begins kind of like hollowing out a lot of orthodox teaching. Um, he becomes a, a private tutor and then a chaplain and then a pastor all the while kind of drifting further and further away from the faith that he was raised in. He was much more taken with Kant mm -hmm. and Spinoza and Aristotle than he was with Paul or Peter or Jesus. Right. Um, he become, became a professor at the school he originally went to, um, but then moves to Berlin to found his new university in 1810. And he's the chair of theology. And... This university is going to become a vehicle for liberal theology for years and years and years right. to come. Um, it's one, just sorry, yeah, just to note in there, uh, you mentioned his skepticism of early Christians and Christian recordings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be it's going to be ironic 
how that plays out in his interpretation of scripture. Yes. That he has this skepticism. But mm-hmm. in the same way we talked about generational arrogance being a thing of the day, mm-hmm. then and now, mm-hmm. um, this notion that, I, I, I was just thinking while you were saying that, this is the principle that we've been teaching church history under all year. Yes. That people come to us and say, I'm the first one to have this thought. It's new to me, so it must be new. Mm. And so you are just following like sheep, and no one has ever thought about these things before. Mm-hmm. Right? But the study of church history shows mm-hmm. we have been examining ourselves and our faith and our origins from the beginning, and every generation does it afresh and anew. Mm-hmm. Right? We know exactly how we got here. And he is doing, like, you know what he would have benefited from? The In and Through podcast. Yeah. <laughs> The episodes on Gnosticism and yeah. Um so so he he continues teaching and working. He's politically active, calling out government overreach. Um he worked towards uniting the reformed and Lutheran churches of Prussia. Mm-hmm. Right? Why can't we all just get along? Let's get together. There are there are um there are differences between Reformed theology and Lutheran theology. Right. Right? But a liberal would say What's theology, anyways? Let's like let, let's let's just let bygones be bygones and and just bring everybody together. That's the frustrating thing about liberal theology. Liberal theology sounds like it wants to be the great unifier mm-hmm. by accepting everyone. Really, what they mean is why not deny everything that matters to you? Yeah, just get down to lowest common denominator. Right. Why? What if? What if the things that mattered to you didn't matter to you? Right. And I'll be the one who maps out what matters or not. <laughs> so really, really, the unifying denominator of liberal theology is we could really all just get along if we all agreed with me. Right. Which is nothing new because yeah. that is the common unifying denominator right. everywhere. It's yeah, universally if true. If we just don't believe in anything... Then we have nothing to fight about, right? Right. Which is which is why the Unitarian, the United Unitarian Church is maddening. They're like the one dogmatic thing that we hold on is that we hold nothing dogmatic, which in and of itself is it's a, a dogmatic holding. Yeah, it's so it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, you just wonder what they do when they get. I would love to visit a Sunday morning at a Unitarian church. Everybody good? Yep. Okay, cool. And just sit there. Just <laughs> maybe at one point when someone says something, just go eh, hmm. and watch the whole structure crumble. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so we we have a few characters to get through here. So we're gonna be flying through these guys. But his most famous work is is probably the Christian Faith According to the Principles of the Evangelical Church. It has a a German name that I I was gonna try to pronounce and I decided not to. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, here's the synopsis of his kind of magnum opus, of his kind of statement about Christianity. The source and basis of religious truth is actually religious feeling. Right. So it's about depending on God like Jesus did, rather than rather than the actual words of scripture or the creeds or whatever else. It's not about that. It's just about depending on God, right? It it gets a little bit of like a little bit like kind of being one with the universe. Like if you read some of it, I read some translations of sections. Sin happens when people when 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 man tries to live by himself, isolated from the universe and mm-hmm. his fellow men. That's a quote from from the book. So the problem with sin is when you're not connected to the universe, and what sets Christ apart, it's not his divinity. It's not his virgin birth. It's not miracles, because those probably never happened in Schleiermacher's mind. In Jesus, we find a man who had the God consciousness to a supreme degree. Nailed it. He just understood. Right. He just under he just relied and was connected and conscious of God to such a great degree that that's what makes him special. That's what makes him unique. Right. And this is this is where I want this is going to get a little bit touchy. Just go with it. I understand this. Some people are going to say, Schleiermarker sounds like he's way off here, doing his own thing off to the side. Mm. There are going to be other German liberal theologians. It's a pocket of theology. Is it really something that we need to spend a lot of time on in the In and Through podcast where we're sort of admittedly being like, let's look at our history and where we came for- from in mm. that sort of 
mm-hmm. gospel coalition, broadly reformed, mostly Baptist kind of a way, right? Or Baptistic kind of a way. The thing is, liberal theology is prevalent amongst mainline churches, and I would say most notably the United Church of Canada. Here, yeah, yeah. So when, so when, when we talk about these things, we are talking about deep divisions that are going to run up into this modern day in a way that separate us drastically. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about Schleiermacher, mm-hmm. friends, family that attend the United Church, I'm going to pick on them pretty heavily because the other, the others, some of the others are going to, um, like the Pentecostal churches of Canada, mm. have a lot of liberal theology. They get there over the years, right? Mm-hmm. This is the found, founding statements. The United Church exists based on these things, mm. right? And so when we talk about Schleiermacher's theology, this is going to very much resonate with your friends and family that might be a part of the United Church mm-hmm. and would would be the sort of thing that they would teach on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. right? And, and I... I think it's going to help you understand that the divisions, the distinctions between us and them are far deeper mm-hmm. than preferences and emphases. Yeah. Right? And and I know, I think it was 2013, 2014, something like that. Mm. In Toronto, there was the United pastor who came out and said that she's not even a deist, mm-hmm. doesn't even believe in yeah, God. she's an atheist. Yeah, she? she's an atheist. Um and people were like, whoa, how can that be? It's been going on since Schleiermacher. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah right? It's, it's not that new. And, and, and to be honest with you, the reason they had so much trouble removing her from the pulpit, which she was eventually reinstated, mm. the reason there was so much trouble in that is because when they gathered, the seminary professors of the United Church were saying, no, we've been teaching this for decades. Like, mm. We can't we can't charge her for this thing that we taught her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so so this really matters. Yeah. Like when locally here, mm-hmm. we have a couple of groupings, ecumenical groupings. One of them is uh, the Festival of Praise churches, which are the broadly evangelical churches that cooperate together for a couple of uh, things throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the Council of Churches. Right. We're not as engaged in the Council of Churches. Yeah. And a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. Why wouldn't we be engaged with the Council of Churches? Because the Council of Churches is very much liberal theology. Yeah. And it is a... As we unpack this, I, I just want to throw that out as we continue to unpack this, because it is a profoundly different thing. Yes. Marginally Christian, if at all. Yeah. In its depth. Depending on, yeah, depending on the context. Yeah. Like I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there are some genuine people within 100%. And I'm sure there's probably even some, some ministers in some of those churches that are maybe even preaching the gospel Mm -hmm. on occasion. Right. Right. And, and, you know, all the power to them, but as a whole, it's, it's rotten to the core. So the, the thing that we've been saying all along about the Catholic church I think applies here. There are Christians within these denominations, despite the teachings of the denominations. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Not because of. Yeah. And to be to be honest with you, Tim, if I if I lived somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and I had the option of a Roman Catholic Church or a United Church of Canada to attend, those are my only two options. Oh, this is this is spicy. I'm I, excited. For I this. go to the Catholic Church. Maybe. 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 I mean, depending, right? Because again, like if it's if I'm just going with like my experiences of what's been said in the Catholic Church. I went to Catholic school growing up, so I'm very familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And my experiences being in United Churches, you know, kind of sporadically, um, from my experience, that's that's probably what I would do. That's spicy, but no, that's... It, it's interesting. Like you said, I had never considered a scenario like that, and that got me mm-hmm. a little excited. I haven't had a chance to think about it. I don't know what I would do. Right. Uh, I I might just. I you know what I'd plant a church. <laughs> there you go. See, that's what I should have. That's what I should have done. <laughs> uh, the neither one's a great option, but <laughs> I, I think that some people are going to be a little uncomfortable with this and be like, "Why are you railing on the United Church at this point?" Two reasons: it is the largest denomination in Canada. Mm-hmm. 
and this is its roots. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing in a history podcast. Yeah. And at least one of those two options requires that their clergy believe in God. So yep. I'm going to go with that one. Yep. Um, so next person, David Strauss. Eight- hold on. Hold on. Okay. Can we unpack Schleiermacher on a couple of other things? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to I just yeah, want to yeah. unpack it on a couple of other things. Yeah, he's because, a big name. He's a big name. And it's going to point out some of the pivotal differences that we just talked about right. existing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Religion is experience. It, he he argues with Kant. Kant says it's about rationale, mm-hmm. right? We come to know God because we reason it out. Right. Apologetics. Right. We can scientifically prove God, thus God exists. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not good for Schleiermacher. It's about the feels. I'm going to experience God. Uh, and and religion is cultural. Mm. How we experience God is cultural. I'm German, so I experience God through Christianity, mm-hmm. but a Muslim is going to experience that same God mm. through Islam. Right, right. And the Buddhists are going to experience that same God through Zen Buddhism, mm. uh, and that's all good. We're all climbing the mountain from different sides. Right, and we right. will eventually get to the top and meet there. Uh, that's that's a huge tenet mm-hmm. yeah. of this. Yeah, he calls himself a Christian because he's German, right? And Europe is predominantly Christian, mm-hmm. not because he is convicted of his own personal sin and Christ's atoning power over oh, yeah. that sin. Yeah, yes. Uh, Christian religion is an expression of the God conscience, that understanding that there is something more as Jesus understood it Mm. and looking to him in that. Mm. Uh, Theology itself is the language with which we help people to understand what it means to feel and experience God. That's what theology is. Right. Right? Uh, Christology. Jesus, not divine, Mm-mm. He just did this thing better than anyone else. Right. It is, if you if you study the history of Buddha, Schleiermacher's Jesus is just Buddha. Yeah. He is the Buddha. He's He goes off, he does his wanderings in the wilderness, he comes to this deep conviction and connection with, with the universe. Right. And he lives out that God conscience perfectly in a way that we all strive to emulate mm-hmm. uh, which is the story of the Buddha essentially yeah the Bible is very useful in fact in addition to being the father of modern uh, the father of liberal theology he's also going to be known as the father of hermeneutics mm. he makes a very peculiar contribution to hermeneutics that is actually quite useful and something that I teach sure right he teaches the principal thing to do is to understand the original audience mm-hmm. and their context. Yep. What is the original author saying to the original audience? And then how do we build a hermeneutical bridge into an application into today's scenario? Yeah. If, you've, if you're a member at Memorial Baptist Church, you have heard me teach that mm-hmm. in sermons multiple times. Yep. That's Schleiermacher. Yeah. The difference is he doesn't see this as authoritative. What his concept is of the Bible is this. Jesus is not divine, but perfectly exemplifying God conscience. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of people around him wrote down their observations of Jesus perfectly exemplifying the God conscience. Mm -hmm. And so there's value in, in hearing their stories because that's the closest thing we have to that perfect guy. Right. Uh, But, we can also see moments of those people showing their own personal uh, idiosyncrasies and misunderstandings mm. of that personal Jesus. And so mm-hmm. those things need to be, or that perfect Jesus, so those things need to be removed from, mm-hmm. you know, our, our pursuits. Right. Uh, so there is a lot of cherry picking. To be honest with you, his concept of the Bible really only works for the Gospels. Yeah, totally. After that, it just sort of crumbles. There's really no use for Acts and the Epistles. The Old Testament yeah, becomes totally. absolutely pointless. Yeah. Um, but 
that's his notion of of the Bible. Sin, mm-hmm. like you said, is not being connected with the universe or not being true to yourself. Right. That's another huge player. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Trinity. He's at times he's a modalist. God is God the Father for some people, then he spends some time as Jesus, and now there's this sort of essence or spirit. He just switches modes, but it's always ever mm. one being that is really just sort of this pantheistic greater universe right. concept. Um, but there is no divine trinity of authority and creative power. Right, right. Which, which is where it starts getting confusing, because, again, just to go back to the United Church as a very visible and present in our context, mm-hmm. any liberal theology, you go to their churches, they've got crosses. Yep. They've got the sign of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. They've got Bibles. Yep. Right? All of these things that we would expect to see in a church are present. Mm-hmm. The difference is... They have said, society must be correct, Mm. yet we want to hold on to our Christian heritage. How do we adapt Christianity into what we see as the the current state of society? Yeah. How do we we make Christianity trim off the edges, anything that might be antithetical to society— how do we trim that away and still hold to this in a way that society would respect the fact that we claim Christianity? Right, yeah. Right? That is ancient and very current yep. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's Schleiermacher creating liberal theology in a way that is going to carry through these other guys. Yeah. And, and into today. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another German, David Strauss, um, who was kind of primed for ministry. His parents kind of sent him to Bible school when he was like 12 to prepare him for a seminary to mm-hmm. do his ministry work. Um, he actually moves to Berlin to study under Schleiermacher in particular um, and begins working on his kind of great work, Das Leben Jesu, The Life of Jesus. Um, and so here's where he's at. He claimed, yeah, th- there was a historical Jesus. Sure. Uh, but all the miracles were just mythical additions. They were added by the early church so that Jesus could be identified as the Jewish Messiah. Mm-hmm. So the early church recognized that certain boxes need to be ticked in order for Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. So they just add that stuff in over the years. Um, so, cause for him at the time, there was, there were some groups that were just kind of trying to rationalize all the miracles saying like, well, what actually happened was this phenomenon. And then there were people like us who just like, yeah, a God that created the universe can, can do anything. So like what, we don't have a problem that Jesus healed the blind. Right. And, right? That's, and his way was like, no, nah, no, nah, they just like added it into. That's know. the bizarre notion of the use of liberal of the liberal use of scripture, Mm -hmm. right? Like in the seventies, this becomes a big thing in the Southern Baptist convention, Mm. whether or not they're going to accept this or the authority of scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, The man who leads, I I can't think of his name right now, but the man who leads the Southern Baptist through this to say, no, we are going to stick with scripture as an authoritative document. Mm -hmm. um, Eventually ends up falling into liberalism himself and moving to McMaster and leading McMaster Seminary here in uh, Canada, here in Ontario, from its conservative position into its liberal position. Yeah. So this is this is. Yeah. Well, McMaster's been McMaster's been dabbling with liberalism for over a hundred years. That's why the Feb exists because right. the con- the the CBOQ or the convention split. We're, we're that's a story for another podcast. Right. But but it's it's by degrees, obviously, and it's. Yeah, but so. the but the difficulty in that is to say, the value of the Bible is that it's the most concurrent description of Jesus. Yet we know better than those people now, <laughs> right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, we can tell that they're wrong, right? Better than they could. But it's most important to understand them because they were there, right? 
Yeah, I just I I I I just can't wrap my head around a worldview that believes in a god who created the universe, created the universe out of nothing. But Jesus laying hands on a blind man and healing him is just too much for them to handle. Mm-hmm. I I don't understand that. Yeah, I heard a teetotaler one time argue a teetotaler is someone who believes that any alcohol is a sin mm. and covered under drunkenness. That, yes, Jesus turned the water into wine, mm. but it takes time for juice to ferment, Okay, and they served it immediately. Okay. And so, of course, it was just grape juice. Right. And everyone's like, this is great. Right. <laughs> Which is awesome, because... Although the majority element, the, the major element of grape juice is going to be water. Right. From nothing. Spontaneous generation of the particles that would make it grape juice. Right, right. Yet, fermentation takes time. Right, right. And that would be a miracle. <laughs> that would be yeah. supernatural. Yeah. It's uh, just, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's silly how, how people... Yeah, and, and the tension is the trying to harmonize... Mm-hmm. Secular thought, atheistic thought, mm-hmm. with Christian thought. And yeah. the Bible very clearly says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity mm-hmm. with God? Yeah. 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 So the Earl of Shaftesbury, who was uh, a well-known Christian, who uh, reviewed this book uh, by Strauss, about the, the miracles not being real, and he referred to it as the most pestilential book ever vomited out of the jaws of hell. That was his take. Wow. <laughs> so I figured I'd include that in, in the notes because that was, that was fun. Um, Strauss eventually was offered a position as the chair of theology at the University in Zurich, um, but there was so much public outcry that they ended up just kind of giving him a pension and not letting him teach. There was people were burning effigies of him. They were so upset. So again, just an, an example of like these things were really big at the university level. On the ground level, people were not down with it. Mm-hmm. It's only over time that it kind of bleeds down from right. from the insti- like from the uh, institutions of education to which is where it starts always. Right? Like e- eventually, what happens is mm-hmm. those institutions have taught enough people. Mm-hmm. That those people go on to teach people, yeah. and after a while, it doesn't hit as hard. Yeah, it's something that I've heard this before. That's why it it matters, like for churches like who are hiring ministers, pastors, like it, it matters where they did their school. It does. It really does, and and not to say that like okay, so if they went to a school that's kind of you know that dabbles in this stuff, like how critical are they of it? Mm-hmm. Like I. I, I'm not doing my MDiv at McMaster for a reason. Right. Right. Um, it's more well-known. It's an older school. It's in some, in some academic circles more prestigious, at least this side of the border. But I'm not there for a reason. Right. Um, I'm doing my doctoral work from mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah. Because there's not a place in Canada... Mm-hmm that I would be happy to say I did my doctoral work there. Yeah. And that is, I have, I have a number of friends mm-hmm. that did their doctoral work in the University of Toronto. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the various seminaries there mm-hmm. that are incredible. Yet, they have tensions that they fight the whole time. Yeah. yeah. In order to get there. Yeah. I just want to be, if I'm learning about the Bible, I want to be taught by people who believe it. Sure. That's, you know, that might sound overly simple, but that's, that's mm-hmm. where I'm at. Um, so the next is Albrecht Riechel. Not a lot to say about him. Uh, his interesting take, though, the, the, the reason I'm bringing these guys up in their, their bits is because it feeds into different approaches that people have and elements of liberal theology. Um, he wrote a paper arguing that the gospel of Luke was actually a ripoff of Marcion's gospel. So Huge callback, huge callback all the way to like January. But Marcion was one of these early um, heretics, essentially, Mm -hmm. who what he did is he took, he rejected almost all of scripture. He he heavily edited Luke and took, I think, little bits of Paul. No, I don't think he, I think he threw Paul out completely, actually. But he had this heavily edited version of Luke's gospel. And so this guy, Rachel, 
his take was no, actually Luke was ripping off Marcion, not Marcion ripping off Luke. Now that's not, it's not actually like, no one else has really agreed with that take or not many people have really agreed with that take. Right. But again, it's the idea of the novel, right? Mm -hmm. It's the idea of being able to erode something, right? To rock people's world with this thing that I figured out, right? Uh, And again, very common, right? Like I, I get at least monthly some little something that shows up in a social media feed, mm. right? The the rejected books of the Bible that the church doesn't want you to know about. The and Gospel all, of Thomas. And right, all this stuff, and you're Judas. like, of course we know about that stuff, right? We yeah. reject it because it's nonsense. Yeah, I learned about this stuff in seminary. It's not, it's not a secret. Right, uh, right. <laughs> it's just garbage. Um, so, so he also argued that faith was rooted not in knowledge per se and not an experience in the same way Schleiermacher would say but in value judgments mm-hmm. okay so Jesus is divine because there is he brings revelational value for the church so it's a theology of of moral value so it's good theology if it's moral or if it causes us to be moral therefore the the ethical the social dimensions of the church are the only things that are actually important so mm-hmm. so so if, you know, with the new kind of this new way they're looking at the Bible where it kind of destroy, you know, seeks to destroy these these things about the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the miracles, the resurrection, Risha would say, okay, who cares? Jesus is still valuable because he gave us great moral values. And now the church gets to be this value creating community who gets to use that influence to make society better for everyone. Right. Whereas we've watched that develop over the centuries— and now, Christian morality is considered immoral mm-hmm. by our culture. And so, what does the liberal theology do with that? Yeah, they just change the they well, they change their values to match the culture and society's values, right? Right, and and that's w- <clears throat> that's where the difference between saying I live in a biblical worldview, the Bible determines for me mm-hmm. what is truth and what is not. And I subject myself to that versus mm-hmm. as culture changes, I subject my hermeneutic, my reading of scripture to that cultural lens. Right. And, and one thing that you're going to see happen in, in churches, denominations, seminaries, is you're going to see a, a moving target of what is truth. Yeah based on what society claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of James chapter 1. If any of you likes wisdom, let him seek of God who gives generously. Mm-hmm. But let him do so in faith and not doubting, mm-hmm. because those who doubt are like the waves, making this lurch toward the shore, mm-hmm. falling back, and then just getting stuck in this constant pattern of lurching forward, mm-hmm. sliding back, lurching forward, sliding back. Double-minded and unstable. Mm -hmm. Liberal theology is profoundly unstable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it doesn't follow a central marker. Mm -hmm. It follows the changings of the winds. Yeah, because if the individual or or the collection of individuals that form a culture are are the, the central focal point of what you're doing rather than who God is as is revealed mm-hmm. to us in scripture, then it's constantly, you're constantly going to be at the mercy of every, of the changing winds, you know, tossed to and fro by every strange wind of doctrine, that whole thing. Right. right? right. So, so it's, yeah. Um, all right. I got a couple more fun ones. This one, this one, you might not know his name off the top of your head, but you will, he will become very familiar to you in a moment. Julius Wellhausen. So he was born in the kingdom of Hanover in 1844. Another's pa- another pastor's kid. Pretty much all these guys are either PKs or sons of of seminary professors. Mm-hmm. So you also get this like, I'm not going to be my dad. I'm going to do something new. Going to bring something new. You Yet get at that, the same time, rebellious. I don't want to let go of my culture. Yeah, yeah. I still want to be. I still want to be part of this thing. Mm-hmm. But I want to. I want to shift it in a way that is my own. Right. Not like what you know what was before. Um, he studied theology, then taught Old Testament history. He, he has this quote of he eventually resigned 
And I actually kind of respect him for this. He says, I became a theologian because the scientific treatment of the Bible interested me. Only gradually did I come to understand that a professor of theology also has the practical task of preparing the students for service in the Protestant church. And that I'm not the I'm not adequate to this practical task, but that instead, despite all caution on my own part, I make my hearers unfit for their office. Since then, my theological professorship has been weighing heavily on my conscience. Astute. Yeah. He's like, I'm making these prospective pastors unfit to be pastors. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the guy who came up with the documentary hypothesis. So uh, just very briefly, so... So there is a view that he came up with. It was extremely popular until kind of recently people have kind of eroded it, but it's that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were not written primarily by one author. Mm -hmm. So I would say primarily by Moses, probably with Joshua involved to some degree or whatever. Um, But they propose that there are four different documents that were all synthesized into one. So so it's J-E-D-P is the... Um, acronym J for uh, the Yahwist. So when we hear the 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 Lord, the Lord, all caps, Yahwist. We have the Elohist who uses Elohim, the Deuteronomist, and then the priest. And so you have this view that you know what it really was was over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. These various documents were written and rewritten and edited and patched together like this mosaic. And and what they'll do is they'll they'll read through a passage of Genesis or Exodus or whatever numbers, and it's like using a little razor blade to say, okay, these this two and a half verses, this is Yahweh. But then they go from saying Yahweh to Elohim, and so then we see, okay, these next verses, this is by this author, and they they've essentially broken it the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. And say, see, look, look what we've done, and and so, and therefore, what it does is it erodes people's confidence that there's any kind of like um, inspiration, like supernatural right. inspiration. It's people loved this thing and they ran with it, and it was so popular that like when I was in seminary, they they taught us it, even though like our prof was like, we don't, I don't believe this anymore, and it's becoming less popular. But you need to know it because it's going to be referenced so much in other books, right? Right. Um, so anyway, so but it's it's developing these methods that kind of like essentially are tearing scripture apart, right? Or 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 yeah. or subdividing it in, in kind of to this like to the nth degree. Um, for what purpose? I don't. And I then don't you end know. up with somewhere between thirteen and thirty different Isaiahs, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stuff Isaiah. Like that. Isaiah is a particularly yeah. hot target for this. Uh, people love to say um, it's a wash to call the Bible inspired. Isaiah is the primary target for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the Bible was inspired, there would be all these sort of divine, supernatural things to be found in it. Um, Isaiah wrote 600 years before the events that he prophesies actually happen, and it happens profoundly in step with what he has to say about the exile, Mm -hmm. uh, written at a time of prosperity Mm -hmm. in Israel, uh, about a time of exile Mm -hmm. and destruction. Um, So obviously it's not true, and obviously someone (laughs) wrote it later. Right, right. Because you're coming at the text with that preconceived notion that there is no miraculous anything. There is no revelation. So if a prophet gets something right... It must have actually been written after those events took place. Yeah. So musing over this last night, laying there in bed, I, I came to this notion. People are going to say, and, we, and we've acknowledged there are Christians in sure. some of these churches, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people are going to want to press hard and be like, no, these are churches. Mm-hmm. And they believe in God. They pray. They sing. They teach. I, I would say... I would say it's an interesting experiment. Take some of these things, visit some of their sermons. They're, everyone's sermons are online now. Yeah, true. And with these notions in mind, listen to way, the way they teach, the way they pray, what they sing, mm-hmm. and, and see these elements in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I tend to, when I'm doing things, work that doesn't require a lot of focus and brain power, uh, to just put on sermons by other people around town, I did this with our local United Church about a month ago. Okay. Uh, 
they opened the sermon reading an entire chapter of the Bible. Wow. Which I was impressed by. It's great. Mm-hmm. It was from Proverbs. Okay. About Lady Wisdom. Okay. But then went on to talk about how the wisdom that we have is preeminent and that we've received this wisdom over the years through culture, through science, psychology, and basically calling wisdom whatever you feel like is true, and then applying that to the scripture of the preeminence of wisdom Hmm. and how important and valuable it is for you to just follow your heart, right? Which is the opposite of what (laughs) the author of Proverbs is trying to tell us. Right. Right? Oh, man. So, so when we looked at these and we're like, no, these are, these are very much Christian things. They, they look very much like us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this really delicate place of we might say some of the same things, but we mean something very different. Yeah, yeah. Right? Just like in some cultures, to whistle is to cheer, and in other cultures, it's to boo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And you can go to a soccer match and you can hear people... The whole, the whole thing, like at a World Cup event, right? Everyone's whistling, but they mean different things. Right, right. Uh, and in sometimes antithetical things. Right, right. And, and that's what we have to be, be really careful of understanding the difference in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes that's delicate work. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's tough, right? And, you know, I know that even within our church, we have a lot of people who've come over from the United Church or from, um, you know, other mainline denominations, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not just, we'd be kind of picking on the United Church because they're the best example. But like, you know, I sat through a funeral at an Anglican church where, you know, the uh, minister there, she was reading uh, Native American prayers, mm-hmm. invoking names of of spirits from, spirits and ancestors from this Native thing. The lady who died wasn't even First Nations. Mm-hmm. She was like German background or something, but like, it's another it's another cultural expression, right, of the universal God conscience, and it's just as good as anything else, right? right. And that's in that was in an Anglican church, right? So, so this is unfortunately something that's you know pretty common, and 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 you know we might get some emails saying, well, you know, my sister in law goes to this particular United Church, and her pastor still preaches the truth, and here's a link to his sermons, and you can send that if you want, but we understand that that exists. But mm-hmm. on a broad level, like, let's not kid ourselves with what is going on around us in some of these denominations. And what's interesting, though, what I find interesting is that these these groups that are trying the hardest to match, be in lockstep with culture and society, right, to to kind of to be in lockstep with the, the, the ever-changing values and norms around them, most of them don't have young people. Yeah, and I think there's an explanation for that. When these churches are dying daily, mm-hmm. right? And and the reason is they've always required that there be a feeling of association with the Christian church as a for, a point of identity, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm going to follow what I feel is the wave of society, mm-hmm. yet I want for that tradition of the church. We talked about right. this with some of these ancient, not ancient, but these German guys from the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. If people don't feel that need to hang on to a, a tradition, an identity within the church, then the church has nothing to offer for them right? other than do your thing. Yeah. You do you. Um, and so as people have been in that concept for long enough, they don't feel the need to identify with the church. And so the church that doesn't call them to repentance and just says, you do you, they're like, all right, me does different things on Sunday. Yeah, I do sleeping in and not showing up. <laughs> right. And so <laughs> right? Like, and so that is, that is the death of these churches, right? right? Liberalism mm-hmm. is secular thought. Mm-hmm. Liberal theology is secular thought with... Christian nostalgia. Liberal theology will eat your church from the inside and wear its skin as a trophy. Nice. I heard someone say that or something to that to that effect once, and that is 
That's what it does. Yeah, that's what it does. That's why we're taking it. That's why we're critical of it. That's why we're taking it serious. I know we've been we've been on a bit of a critical shtick. We, we, we had all the cults, and now we're doing this thing. It's yeah. not always going to be this, guys. Don't worry. But yeah, Paul tells us in Romans chapter twelve, one and two, do not conform to the patterns of this world, mm. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and mm. then. You'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? Mm. It, is, it is our job to be critical of our own thoughts and notions, yeah. which are broken by sin, and to subject ourselves to the pattern that God has laid out as truth, whether we like it or not. And to be conformed into his image by the truth that he has revealed to us. It is not our job to conform what God has declared as truth into what we feel is best. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. See you next time.